Hello and welcome to another episode of Video Game Logic. Today's show was recorded on March 26th, 2019. I'm your host, gaming psychologist, and with me, as always, the one who's not suffering... Caffeine rage. And how do you know I'm not suffering being here? You're suffering with me. I'm suffering, and you're suffering by having to deal with me today. On today's show, we will, of course, discuss the games that we've played this week. We're going to be going through our game club for March, which is Company of Heroes. We'll be revealing our next game club game for April. The latest update to Final Fantasy X and X2 HD Remaster on Steam adds online requirements. Valve adds soft currency gambling to Dota Plus subscription. We'll have our weekly community corner and a... A discovery queue. Timestamps will be in the show notes following their respective topics. Hello, Rage. Hello. I would ask how you're doing, but I'm pretty sure I already know. Yeah, I'm just going to blanket apologize to everyone this week. My voice and allergy... I mean, it's allergy season. It's been warm enough, enough for the last week or so for things to start blooming and the plant sex to start happening. And I had to mow the yard for the first time. Of the of the season, uh, over the weekend. Well, uh, I think I, I have a uh, potential uh, show title then. There you go. No, 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 um, no, no. Uh, a nose full of plant jizz. <laughs> if only it wasn't a game club game club week. <laughs> but uh, you know, I'm on like eight different allergy medicines right now, and also my throat is sore, and I'm full of sneezes and coughs. And I probably sound a little funny, so. Well, that'll be a first. I'm just, I'm just a hot mess tonight, y'all. So I apologize for any dip in quality of my audio compared to usual, or any noises or missed coughs. I'm gonna do my best, um, but we'll see. We shall see. Yeah, and to add to things, I've been having connectivity issues over the weekend. I'm looking decent right now, but um, my upload will be okay-ish, which I realize when I say okay-ish, you're looking at my uh, upload. It's like, I want that, right? Yeah, your upload when it's busted is still better than my upload speed when I said it's Yeah, it's supposed to be uh, hitting 50 right on the nose, and I've been anywhere from 5 to about 45, And it seems like it's just a random number generator when I hit speed test. Download's been uh, perfectly fine, though. Actually, download's been better than usual. But then again, it could be just because there's an outage in the area, so I'm getting all the bandwidth. (laughs) All the bandwidth. Yeah, usually usually my download speed, it's uh, uh, like a marathon run. It uh, start off... I'm going to say slow, and you're just going to sit there and roll your eyes. Uh, but it'll slowly build up to my full download speed, or as fast as my computer can handle this uh, internet. But mm-hmm. lately, it's just been a sprint pretty much instantly to either full or almost full uh, download speed. Which, you know, tells me that there's not a lot of people online right now in my area. But also, it means that because there's a service outage, and even though I'm not offline, it's interrupting my service... I'm going to have a pretty substantial credit on my account when this is over with, because this is going on to a week now. (laughs) Nice. 
Um, yeah, I just did a quick speed test, and the numbers will be slightly off because we're actively using the connection right now. But I mean, my peak—I mean, my my download is hitting pretty much peak at 114 megabits per second, and my upload is also pretty close to peak at 11 megabits per second. And you're like, oh, I'm only getting 32 megabits per second. It's so so bad. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm gonna strangle you because your bad is three times better than my best. Yeah, I'm running speed test right now. I'm sitting at 550, 580, 600, 640. 680.17 upload is bouncing around the upper 30s, low 40s. I could hear that, <laughs> that glare. I could hear the seething anger. <laughs> to be fair, I do pay for it. It's just under a hundred a month for me, but then again, there's nothing near me, so you know uh, what I would uh, yeah, go out to eat with. Uh, throw out the internet instead. Yeah, that's still not very expensive, like for what speeds you're getting. Because I think we pay seventy five bucks a month. Yeah, I'm right at, I'm at 95, but I don't have TV at all. I don't have phone at all. Well, neither do we. Literally just the internet. Yep. But when you live out in the boonies, you know, you uh, pay extra to get that extra speed, right? Yeah. But I mean, I'd happily pay another 20-ish dollars a month to get roughly five times the speed. Or more. But let's stop talking about your internet, which makes me sad because it's so good. <laughs> How about we talk about other good things then? Indeed. You want to talk about the games that we played, or do you have something to bring up between here and there? Oh, uh, actually, I was going to go into games we played, but if you want to talk about something else, I mean, nope, that, that would go be, for it. That wouldn't be a first. I'm going to just destroy a cough drop with my mouth motions, and you talk about the game that you played. Oh, yeah, suck it. Yeah, I am. So, uh, games I played. Well, I should say game I played, because I only had the one, because I focused on getting through Company of Heroes, or as much as I could, well, stand is probably not the proper term, but we'll go with it anyway. So, I got a review code for One Finger Death Punch 2 pretty much the day of recording the last episode. So, as I was badmouthing the mobile version of the original game, I got review code for the follow-up. And this game is pretty much the reason why I wanted the mobile version to be good. Because it is actually a hell of a lot of fun. So, uh, before I get into it... For those who have never played One Figure Death Punch, it's essentially the bastard child of either a rhythm game meets a fighting game or a fighting game meets a rhythm game. And I'm honestly not sure which it is as the, you know, like the father here, you know, the, uh, the, the, the main genre because it's a weird, weird game. It's a, essentially a 2D fighter, but there's only two buttons. Uh, on uh, PC, it's left click and right click. Left click, you attack enemies on your on the left hand side of the screen. Right click, you attack enemies on the right hand side. And that sounds pretty simple, but it goes blazingly fast. I'm talking, you know, through the fire and flames uh, fast. <laughs> All right. <laughs> 
And it kind of throws you onto the deep, the deep end for uh, the second version of this. Uh, the first one started off fairly slow and kind of eased you into things. This one, it goes pretty quickly to the more advanced stuff. I'm not sure if they are just expecting you to have the skills built up from the uh, first one, uh, or if it's criticism from the first one that it does start off pretty slowly and built, takes, uh, I would say, a couple of hours before it starts building up to a pretty decent clip to be able to be a bit more of a challenge outside of just kind of just a mindless clicker, or almost clicker, I should say. So the reason why I call it kind of a, a hybrid of fighting and uh, rhythm is that there is a definite rhythm to the enemies coming in, but it's not so much a rhythm game as it's set to music like most rhythm games or a particular pattern because it's a fighting game as well. You're kind of open to make your own moves and alter the pattern to make it either easier or harder on yourself on top of unlocking skills by going through the uh, campaign mode uh, and uh, clearing a various map screens to be able to unlock various skills that will occasionally fire off. You don't have a way to affect them as far as I could tell. They just happen on internal timers and the more point or the more skill gems you put into them, the more often they fire off. And it could be things like, well, you get a laser sword that's definitely not a lightsaber that instantly one uh, hit kills anything. Uh, some enemies are just one hit kills anyway, but others are multi-hits, and they're denoted by their color. So gray enemies are always one hit on their particular side. I believe it's blue enemies that are always two hits, and sometimes it's two hits on uh, that particular side, or they'll like sidestep you and get try to get behind you and get a free punch in. So it would be like left, right, or right, left. Then there's green enemies that are three hits. Then red enemies that, can you guess? Yes, you're right. It's four hits. But because of how the pattern could shift between the various enemies, it actually is a lot more interesting than what it sounds like. <laughs> because I realize that this is like uh, yeah, dissecting the joke. This is dissecting the frog. You know, it, I'm taking it apart. I'm looking at it. But it feels like I'm kind of killing it in a, a certain way because it's a very fast-paced, frantic game that, you know, sitting down and talking about it makes it sound a lot more boring than what it otherwise is. And I do know that we have at least one rhythm game fan. So, yeah, I would say this is definitely uh, kind of blending genres enough where if you're a fighting game fan, you could definitely get into it as well as a rhythm game fan, but... That crossover where it hits like all the notes for everyone is probably, uh, you know, the Van Dra- diagram is probably pretty narrow there, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but since this is the second installment, what they've changed on this is outside of kind of throwing you into the deep end pretty quickly, they also have it where enemies will stay at the edges of the screen and shoot at you or throw stuff at you. <laughs> and you have to either block or dodge or uh, catch the uh, weapons, and then uh, then you have an opportunity to throw them back or throw them at other enemies on the screen, which also kind of throws a monkey wrench into the whole pattern because you're having to keep track on multiple levels because the uh, thrown projectiles are essentially above you and they kind of arc down into you, while the uh, indicators for the rest of the enemies are kind of the below the uh, ground level. It's... Uh, uh, 
If you remember the early 2000s when all the stick fighter or stick figure fighter animations were going on, it looks a lot like that, and it's as over the top. You know, you'll occasionally grab a guy and just rip his arms off, or you know, just uh, uh, do some sort of breakdance move that just is killing everyone. And honestly, some of those moves it feels a little lost because the game gets so quick, so well quickly that I'm not really paying attention to what my guy is actually doing because I'm trying to focus on all the enemies incoming. It almost feels like a spectator game in a way because of it. Uh, because there's there's so much spectacle, but not uh, but there's just so much going on. Maybe it's just the fact that I'm you know, kind of a noob in the rhythm game genre and I don't really play fighting games. So I don't have the mindset that, you know, that quick reaction time to be able to appreciate the spectacle going on as well as actually doing decent enough to continue on. And this, uh, outside of certain modes, you typically have somewhere between five and ten hits, depending on the level on the campaign mode. And it's pretty generous on that. And also, uh, occasionally during some levels, you'll uh, hit an enemy and they'll drop a health pack for you and you'll regenerate a health point. So it's uh, it's pretty easy to get through most of the levels, but to do well enough to get all five stars, because it's a, uh, because it's a five-star system instead of a three-star system, figure that one out, uh, it's a lot more difficult to be able to do that. Uh, and let's see, additional modes. There's a co-op mode, which is essentially a a couch co-op tag team mode, which is interesting. It's a lot more difficult, supposedly. I haven't been able to play it myself because, you know, it's couch co-op. But uh, how they bounced it is they make it a lot more t- uh, difficult. But the person that's tagged out slowly regenerates their health, so you're having to try to balance, you know, regenerating your, regenerating your health, but maybe one guy's better than the other, so you have to kind of balance out things like that. Right. Uh, they have a survival tower, which is, you know, pretty much what you expect. You know, just go until you die and it, uh, well, uh, rank you based on how many enemies you kill. And probably the funniest mode I encountered. I, I don't think I uh, played all the different modes and there may be others to come out because I'm playing a review build that's still a month out, I believe is, oh, now I'm blanking on the damn name of it. It's, uh, no Pico No or something like that. Anyway, what it is is a JPEG of a cat comes on screen and blocks part of it. And That's you're, interesting. And you're happy to time part of the screen essentially not being able to see it. It's a, a sort of a half-blind mode. It's, a, it's, it's really interesting just how they do it. Uh, and, uh, everything's still going on as fast and frantic as, uh, as normal mode, but you're also throwing in the additional timing element. And because you're only able to see, uh, I would say a third of the left-hand side of the screen, uh, that you normally would, you have to kind of remember and try to figure out the pacing of the enemies coming in as well. It's a... It's one of those things that it's, uh, sounds like a joke mode, but it's a, a really interesting addition to a game that honestly is very simple on its basis, but it picks up very quickly. And then there's different, uh, variations on things. And 
it, it sounds like it would be a very repetitive game, but because how they go through the campaign mode and kind of mix and match the different uh, enemy types and bias towards certain enemy types, like one uh, level, they may focus more on enemies that have throwing weapons or enemies that have a lot of hit points or relative to you know, your typical goons, I should say, that have odd patterns. So it may be like left, left, right, left, or something like that. Uh, it throws enough of a variation in things to make things interesting. Plus there's brawlers where whenever you attack them, uh, you enter a sort of a mini game. There's uh, struggle fights where you have to, well, uh, typically you have to spam. I just turned on easy mode for those because I found them kind of uh, not really difficult, but it was interrupting the pace too much where you're uh, going to uh, essentially a lightsaber battle and you're uh, you know, crossing swords and uh, whoever spams the button enough uh, you know, wins the battle and slices the head off the other person. Uh, really cool, but it was baking, basing, uh, breaking the pace of things because, you know, it is a very frantic game. You know, it has that fast uh, pace, but I realized that they're meant to be kind of just a slowdown moment, but the rounds are so quick anyway that it doesn't really feel like it's necessary. Uh, boss fights are also thrown in uh, here and there. Uh, they swap between different modes. So, you know, occasionally there'll be, you know, a, 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 you know, a typical goon that you have to hit several times and there'll be a struggle fight or a timing battle, which is also kind of interesting where it plays out animation. And then you have a short window to hit the appropriate buttons to be able to get an attack in to knock some health off of them. Like I said, enough variance to kind of keep, th- uh, yeah, uh, keep things fairly fresh, but at the core of it, it's still the same basic premise. You know, you're uh, on this, like, speed trip uh, going through a very simple rhythm game mixed with a fighting game. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's anything else, really. It's due to come out next month. It has a pretty cheap price point. It's under $10. Uh, and the developer said that it's pretty much a, a superior version of the first one. And from when I played of it, I would have to agree. I did have a crash once, but like I said, it is review code of a game that's over a month out. Or I should say, right at a month out. I think it comes out in late uh, April. So, yeah. Uh, any questions? I don't think so. I would say it's definitely worth a check out if you're interested in uh, this sort of game. Or you know, want something to pick up and play for a very short amount of time. Yeah, if you're looking for something with a lot of depth to it, or you know, something that you could play for hundreds of hours, no, this is definitely not it. But yeah, something to goof off with every so often, definitely worth a look. Sweet. Well, I'm glad you like this one more than you liked. Well, uh, the problem, the... the the problem with the other one, it wasn't the fact that it was a bad game. Actually, I was really enjoying it. It was just it was infected with so much uh, mobile game bullshit. It put me off of it. I mean, right. I was having a blast with the, the first, like, 10 or 15 minutes before they started really ramping it up. Because at the start, it, you know, I noticed the... Well, this is for the Android version, I should clarify, not the new one that's coming out on Steam in a, you know, next month. I noticed that I had a stamina system. I noticed that, you know, there was a premium currency. So, yeah, you know, I knew that there was going to be some mobile game bullshit already. But when they started throwing in ads after every single 30-second match that were actually longer than the match themselves at times, 
Yo, that's when I was done. That was too much for me. This, because it's a premium game, for lack of a better term there, uh, you know, it doesn't have the trappings of a mobile title, so, you know, it gets back down to the elements of what the game actually is, and, you know, you don't have microtransactions out the wazoo, even though it does feel like the UI is built around a mobile device, in particular the map screen, where, you know, it's the, you know, the pretty typical, you know, click to uh, move somewhere, but if you're clicking somewhere that uh, you have a clear path to, but is more than one jump away, it won't allow you to do it. You have to click on each individual uh, step of the route. So, mm-hmm. so you know, it feels like it's meant for a more simplistic uh, uh, interface or more si- simplistic controls. So, yeah, I would say that I would expect a mobile version of this eventually, and I'm not sure if it would be a premium game or not. But, yeah, that's, you know, kind of splitting hairs on this one because, you know, I'm not looking at the mobile version of this Yet. I'm looking at the PC version. Right. And it's a little unfair to speculate on, uh, you know, uh, a, what a mobile game would do in the future, or a mobile version of a game would do in the future. At least in review, I mean, how will speculate, uh, all you want, but on this one, yeah, uh, I'm just looking at the Steam version. So, are you done with your cough drop? Yeah. Um, I've got, a whole bunch more sitting here ready to go. Let's see if I can uh, should, make it through all three of mine. Well, should I have bought stock in halls? <laughs> Probably wouldn't hurt. Probably wouldn't hurt. Alright. So I've got three games that I played this week, uh, aside from Company of Heroes. The first one's gonna be really easy to get through here, cause it's a pile of garbage. Uh, it's called Stimulator 2019. And I've talked about the game that this is I don't know, inspired by or sort of copied but badly. Um, Reigns. And Reigns has got a couple of sequels. But the point behind that is that you've got essentially four different things that you're trying to keep balanced for as long as possible by making simple yes or no decisions that give you some vague idea of the consequences, but you're not 100% sure what those are. And there's interesting little events that are triggered and some pretty cool, like, side story. And then, like, you find out what was really going on the whole time, like, sort of deal in Reigns. And this game says, okay, but what if I do that and do, like, memes, right? Like, let's do some memes, okay? Cool. And it's all memes and jokes and things based around stuff in the gaming industry, like all of the... So what it is is that you're basically in charge of Steam and you're deciding what games... So you're Gaben? Yeah, you're you're Gaben. And you get to decide what games are going to go on Steam and which games are not going to go on Steam. And there's occasionally another little decision that's like, um, you know, it popped up. Smethesda, see what they did there. Wants to introduce paid mods. Do you allow them to introduce paid mods or not? And you can be like, yeah, everybody loves money. Or you can be like, no, I fucking hate money. Lands at the Border, a role-playing shooter game about guns. Publish? Yeah. Yep, you're looking at one of the the screenshots. So this one, the the Tying of Isaac, roguelike RPG shooter, publish. Yeah, but none of these Uh, are published by Valve. 
A developer wants to add a loot box mechanic that lets players get random items for real money. Allow? Question mark. Nope. Empire Complete War, a strategy game. Publish. And, I mean, it doesn't, like, specifically pick games that have been published by Valve. It's just games. Um, and you've got your four bars that you have to keep balanced. There's morale, players, devs, and money. And you have to keep those, you know, without either completely maxing out or completely bottoming out for as long as possible. And, I mean, there is a couple of little things that I found on a few playthroughs. But what Reigns does is that it adds this sort of continuation element to your to the story. And, like, after you die the first time in Reigns, you find out, like, oh, yes, so, you know, you get to try again because you made this deal or got this curse or something that, you know, you're forced to live over and over again until basically you get it right, and then you discover, you know, what's going on behind the scenes. But this one just makes you start over every time, and there doesn't seem to be any continuation between the playthroughs. You get these objectives that it tells you to complete, which there's three, complete project Greenlight, launch uh, a bot, and launch full life three, which is half-life three. But it doesn't give you any sort of road for how to get there or what to do. I completed project Greenlight on one playthrough somehow. Like, I just was sort of at one point just, like, randomly moving, you know, saying yes or no to things. Um, and apparently I said yes or no to the correct thing to give me green light. But I don't know. The game just doesn't tell you things properly. Like, basically, whenever you go to make a decision and you pull it to the left for no or the right for yes, which it says swipe on there. I don't know if this is on mobile devices. I actually haven't checked. I don't know if it was intended just to be on mobile devices. But that's a little frustrating thing. Um, but you pull it left or right, and you will see an icon appear above one of the four meters that you're supposed to be tracking. And it will be big or small. But there's different symbols for each of the different ones, and it doesn't tell you what the symbols mean. And sometimes they do different things. So you'll get one symbol that's big one time, and it will be a really large increase. And then you'll get the same symbol that's big next time, and you think, <laughs> ah, yes, so this symbol means it's probably going to go up a lot. And then it decreases. So there's no consistency in their art design, or there are very small, subtle differences that oh, good to see that I they, can't uh, tell. Are they held to their uh, core of de- uh, design uh, then? Because I looked at their pedigree. Uh, they did Quester, which is essentially the same idea, only with a fantasy... Uh, um, well, quest, uh, uh, party. And, uh. Nope, oh, hey, my phone's on silent. Obviously. Yeah, uh, if memory serves correctly, I think I had the same complaints that they didn't really highlight exactly what was going on, uh, uh behind the scenes. Uh, it was very basic. I found it very irritating. Well, let's put it this way. Uh,. I have a review of uh, of it on here, and yeah, I, I was and I was less than impressed with it. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, this game is one or no, sorry, this game is ninety nine cents, and if you're like, man, I'm really bored, 
I want to waste my money and maybe laugh at a couple of really bad jokes and puns. Then you maybe you should buy one of their other games. Like, I can't believe it's not gambling. Yeah. Is that the one with the... Yeah, it's the loot box simulator. They the also box, did that. Yeah. No, no, that's also yeah. them. They have four so, games on Steam. They have two that's essentially Tinder clones, only different you know, styles of it. Uh, a loot box simulator, and one that I'm pretty sure it's supposed to be Joust. Yeah, Joust with jetpacks. Well, there you go, I guess. Astro Joust? Yep. That might be okay. Um, but yeah, this is just not... Yeah, but it's local, Great. Uh, uh, comparative only, it seems. Yeah, it's it's just not great. The biggest thing is that they just don't communicate well enough to you what's going on and why. Like, I, I can... I typically like this type of game. I like the jokes. I like the bad puns. I like the obviously bad... You know, like, this is obviously what it is, and we're changing one letter on it. Like, the cheesiness of it. I typically like that, but it's so difficult to understand what actually, you know, what effect your actions have that it feels more random than anything, and that makes it not fun. Yeah, and that was exactly my pro- our primary problem with Quester is that, well, uh, here's the opening paragraph to my thing. It's a very interesting game, and as a concept, I love Quester. Unfortunately, I really dislike how it plays out as a game for the time being. I was reviewing this as a beta build. My biggest problem with it is that it feels way too much luck-driven. <laughs> so, yeah, it seems like they have not changed it uh, one bit from uh, the other game that they've used the system on. Yeah, so needs a little work. Needs a little work. Not great. Didn't enjoy it all that much. So, Moving on. No, sorry, I don't like it. No, I correct. I would not publish this game on fake Steam. Uh, as, so the next game I played... Even. As fake gaming, yeah. Second game I played this week is called Perpetuum. Uh, Perpetuum is an MMO that initially released onto Steam in 2014. The game first released, I believe, in 2010. It might have been 2009. Um, I've played this game for a while total. Um, I played it for maybe a year in 2010 or 11. And then I played it for about another year, six months to a year, when it was on Steam. Uh, and then the game died. Um, the developers, you know, went out of business. Um, but what they did was they, uh, they opened it up to the community. The last update they made to the game, they added a bunch of features that the community could use, develop their own servers, and run the game that way, and there is a small group of community members who continue to update the game to this day and run a free open server that's available to anyone to just connect to and play. Um, and uh, as far as I know, there's never been any major problems with the community. It, it's been probably three years since I've played this, and I'll, I mean... All the progress and everything was lost when the main servers went offline. So I've had to start over. Um, and, you know, so is everyone else that returned to the game. But uh, I thought that was really cool. And I was just going through looking for something to play. Um, either something new, something I hadn't played in a while. Just something 
really to scratch that MMO itch that I get every once in a while. Uh, and I was like, oh, I remember things about this. So what Perpetuum is, is it, it yes, it is an MMO. Um, it borrows pretty heavily from the EVE Online school of thought of like, we're going to have a completely open player economy. The players can create everything aside from some very basic items. Some of that stuff has changed. A lot of, like initially in the uh, original release of the game, the only things that you could buy from the store were like all of the tier one basic stuff. Like those were all seeded um, by the devs and they, they were on kind of a market cycle. Um, now you can buy more stuff than that that has been added uh, to the marketplace in infinite amounts. Because a lot of players don't make any of the lower level stuff. Most of the stuff that you can get that has been made by the other players is the really high tier stuff, um, the specialized equipment, things like that. So a lot of the low, maybe even dipping into some of the mid tier items, so weapons, mechs, things like that, uh, you can buy from the marketplace. So they have done some adjusting to that. Um, but it borrows heavily from that. It borrows a lot of the same language from EVE Online. Instead of having guilds, you have corporations. Um, it has a skill system that feels kind of inspired by EVE Online. It's massive. The skill tree is huge. But the way they do XP gains is interesting. So you get like a daily amount of XP. And I don't know for how long it stacks. I know currently it'll stack for three days. Um... You, like you don't have to play, and the, the daily XP you get stacks for three days. So I'm not sort sure of what the it was. Uh, WoW model. Date? No, no, no. It's not that. It's not an XP boost. It's just you get XP. Oh, okay. So, so every free day, XP. yeah, every day you get like fifteen hundred XP to be spent on your skills, um, oh, and then you right. you still earn XP through play, but it's very small. Most of your XP comes from the daily gains. Or at least initially, they. Ever since I've been playing, that they've been they've had a really high XP booster, like a twenty-five or a thirty times XP booster. Normally, you just get one XP per action, like period. So mining, harvesting, combat. Um, aside from mission rewards, everything that you did was just worth one XP. Um, and then you you most of your XP came from the daily stuff. Uh, but now. I assume this is just an adjustment to make it more palatable to the community that exists now. It's had at least a base 25 times modifier on that, so everything you do is worth 25 XP. And over the weekend, it was up to 30 XP, or a 30 times multiplier. But there's this massive skill tree. You get daily XP that you can apply to it. Um, but at any point in time, you can essentially respec your character for free and pull points out of something to put it into something else. So, you know, one day if you're like, okay, I need to, you know, I've spent two weeks mining, I've got all this stuff ready, now I need to refine it and then make stuff. So you pull all of your points out of mining and then you put them into the refining pro or the, the skill for refining. You do that, then you pull all of those points out from refining, put them into manufacturing, and you do that. And as you build up over time, eventually, you know, you don't have to do that because you get everything. But at the, t it feels kind of cumbersome now, but at the time it was really interesting because I wasn't aware of any game that allowed you to actively respec with no penalties. Just as many times as you wanted. There was no limit to it. You could change your points around at will. So I always thought that was pretty cool initially. But 
otherwise, it's a pretty standard, solid MMO. Um, the sort of the story to it is that it's a few hundred years in the future for Earth is nearly out of energy. And for some reason, we discovered this planet with sentient machines and we figured out how to hijack their brains and take control of some of them. And now we're exploiting this planet for its resources and pitting the machine factions against one against each other to capitalize on their conflict. And you pick a starting faction, but that doesn't last very long because in sort of the EVE Online model, as soon as you get any amount of experience and level at all, you find a corporation or you create your own corporation and you go off and you do that. There are massive, like the big three factions that you can do missions for to earn reputation and special gear. Otherwise, it's one of those things that comes down to the player versus player combat and or cooperation. Um, there are some like massive overarching goals that used to exist in the game at the end game. I don't know if they're still there. I haven't actually looked into it, but it would be essentially sort of like your dailies or your weeklies to get resources to teleport back to earth or start a war between factions or resolve a war between factions, those sorts of things. And you would get bonuses of some kind for doing those. I don't know if they still exist. I would imagine that they still do, but the community numbers are greatly reduced compared to when this game was, I guess you could say, at its peak. It was never a big MMO to start with. It kind of came out in that era where MMOs were like the thing and everybody had an MMO. Um, but I'm trying to think if there's anything else special or interesting about it that sets it apart. Um... I don't really think so. Just if you've played... The, I mean, the easiest thing to, to describe this as is, like, think EVE Online, but with robots and less obsessiveness on my part. Um, it's fun. I like, you know, the gameplay, the soundtrack, uh, and it does do a good job of scratching the general MMO itch of, like, yes, I just need to do something that's a little bit, you know, kind of repetitive, work on something sort of slowly while I'm doing something else in the background sort of deals. Like, it, it scratches that itch for me. And, uh, you know, I've had it for a long time. This is the, the first time that I've jumped on to the free, uh, or the community server. Everyone seems to have been nice. I don't really interact with players all that much. I've had a couple of chats. Everyone I've talked to seems to be really nice. But I am terrified of getting off of the starting islands. So I guess that's... the There, there are different islands on this sort of archipelago. Um, and there's like two islands that are the starter islands where that you're safe from PVP. And then once you get into sort of the main, uh, island chain, PVP is wide open and the territory is kind of divided up. So, I mean, most people have been nice in chat, but I'm kind of like, I don't know if I ever want to leave the starting island. I'm fine here. It's cool. So. It's fun, though. I enjoy it. If you're uh, someone who's interested in this type of thing, it's only 5 bucks. There's no subscription fee. There's no uh, premium shop. There's no microtransactions. There's none of that. Um, there are sort of special items you can get, but they're all gained via in-game stuff, either currency, the the money, which is called Nick, I think, N-I-C, uh, and then there's badges and like, faction currencies you can get for completing the faction missions. 
and that's how you get all of the the sort of air quotes premium items because there are things like additional XP boosters you can get and resource multipliers and stuff but there's no way to pay real money for them as far as I can tell it's definitely not in game they do have a Patreon the the team that keeps the server running and updating the game still I don't know if there's any kind of premium service you can get through there I actually didn't go check but at least in game there's none of that crap so, um, it runs well on most hardware. It doesn't like my laptop, but lots of games don't like my laptop. Just running on integrated graphics on a, uh, like a six-year-old machine is, you know, sketchy at best most of the time. So it, it does not like my laptop, but I mean, it'll run it over a hundred FPS easy on my desktop. So even a modest gaming PC could run it fairly well. So, it's a good game. Good game if you're looking for, you know, what it has to offer. Uh, and then the third game that I played, uh, is described as Eve Offline by many members of the community, and the developer said that he was heavily inspired by Eve Online. Well, that's a weird way to spell X3. <laughs> um, so, the reason that this is more Eve offline than even the X series is is just because of the control method. So Eve Online uses it that a third person like orbiting camera around your ship, you can't directly pilot it. You just tell it where to go for sort of autopilot and such or sort of set points in space that it navigates to. Uh, and that's how this game plays out. You... You do have some manual control of your ship, but it's real bad. Uh, you don't want to play the game this way. But, I mean, this game, it's in early access. It's been in development, apparently, for several years. It started out as a one-man one man dev team, and, uh, you know, it was a hobby or a passion project, and it slowly turned into a more serious game-developing project. This guy's got a small team that he works with. Uh, it's been, uh, available for probably a year to a year and a half in its current incarnation, you know, and as updates and improvements have been made, the game has been evolving. Um, but Eve Offline is really a good way to describe this game. All of the major systems from Eve, except one, no, two, which this guy says that are coming later down the line, but they're whole additional systems that he hasn't even started development on yet, are somewhere between copied and inspired by Eve. So it has the exact same skill system where that you train skills and you basically slot them in place and it takes real time for the skills to train. The training times so far have been nowhere near as long as Eve, and if you're docked at a station, you get a bonus to how quickly they train. The longest one I've gotten so far is like six minutes or something like that. Um, which when you're sitting in the station, it will only take three minutes to do it because they train it twice the speed. But it's got that same skill system. It's got relatively the same ship control and class system. You interact with space the same way. You've got a tactical map that you're going to spend a lot of time in navigating yourself around. Um... The mining system is relatively similar. Uh, the way that you control drones is the same. 
the way that you buy and sell and refine materials is basically the same. It's not, the menus are not wholly copied from EVE Online, but they're pretty close. Um, they're, you know, they're close approximations. Uh, it feels fairly graphically similar to EVE Online with the exception of turret placement. Um, you know, as someone who has played EVE Online a lot, I can look at some of these ships and go, ah, that's inspired by this ship from EVE or from this faction or whatever. Um, you've got a similar sort of reputation counting system, uh, similar mission structures and types. The only two major systems that it's missing are, uh, you can't build structures in space yet, and you can't do anything in terms of, like, planet colonization or management yet. Um, and he's got no timeline for, like, when that's going to come out, the developer. He just was like, I'm working on this. You know, that's a little ways down the road, but we're working on it. We want to get there. Um, but, Yeah. I quite like a lot of aspects about the game. There are some things that I don't like, and I can't quite put my finger on it. Um, I did get this as like a review key or whatever. Because um, I... I mean, you know what my relationship is with EVE Online. Most of our mm-hmm. long-term listeners know that, that it has been difficult for me in the past to walk away from EVE. But it was mostly curiosity like that prompted me to, to try this out. And yeah, I mean, you had to it's... stop playing Dwarf Fortress because it was uh, triggering you. Yeah. And there's something about this that despite all of its so hard trying to be Eve, it doesn't quite do it. It It's hard to explain. I don't know quite how to put my finger on it. It's not a bad game. It plays well. It runs well. It looks good. Um, so far, I haven't had any major crashes or issues with it. A couple of small bugs. Um, you know, like you warp into a, su- a system and something doesn't load, or you come out of a space station and your ship is kind of like stuck on something in space. But those are very easy fixes. You just redock with a station and come back out, or you warp out of the sector and come back, and then it forces the sector to reload, and the thing will have loaded into place, whatever it is. Like, a couple of very fairly minor bugs... Uh, no crashes, no major graphical weirdness or anything like that. So, you know, for what it's at, it's a fairly, it's a very stable, fairly polished game for its stage of development. Um, like you can tell that the, the, the guy, the team has put a lot of time and effort and energy into it. But there's just something about it that's just like, mm, this isn't, doesn't feel right. And I don't know if it's because I've spent so much time in Eve. That even the small details that I can't quite point out, can't quite put into words, you know, but I can tell that they're not right. It could be the lack of people. I typically avoided people in EVE, except for when I would join a corporation and then get up to some kind of shenanigans. But, you know, obviously there's no people. This isn't an online game. You know, everyone's NPCs. So there's no chatter. There's no community interaction, there's no wars going on in the background. At least with that attitude. There's no big trade hubs. So, there is one thing that this game has that EVE does not, which is a single player story. 
um, which I haven't really discovered very much about. Uh, the game, you you drop in, you do your character creation. The game gives you some history for the universe that you're in, and you know it goes through the tutorial, introduces you to everything, gives you your first ship, and they're like, "Okay, go see so and so for you know to find out about whatever." Uh, and then you're just sort of left to your own devices. And I'm like, okay, well, I know over there's the story if I want to go follow it. But actually what I'm going to do is I'm going to check out the mining system. I'm going to mine for an hour. And I'm going to check out the mission system. And I'm going to do missions for an hour. And I'm going to, you know, do this or that and check out all these things for an hour or two. And I kind of picked apart most of the systems in the game. I don't quite understand the crafting and the refining system yet. I think that might be one of the biggest issues that this game needs a lot more work on is explanations of things. Um, some sort of encyclopedia or something that I can refer to to be like, okay, so I need this. What? Where do I get this? What does it do? Where does it come from? Uh, because for, for most things, it's pretty easy to get information in the game. You want to know something about the faction? The, the factions, you can see that. You can look up the... In, when you go check your reputation with the factions, you can get like a brief history and an overview of all the factions. The missions are very well spelled out. The menu system is fine to navigate through to find anything you need in relation to a mission or something from your sensor data or a scan or whatever. But I'm looking at all these minerals and it's like, okay, well, I need these things to craft this thing, but I have no idea where they come from. And I don't know what systems I can find, what minerals in yet. And some of that took time to learn in EVE as well. Um, the game has a similar sector security system to EVE. And basically the more dangerous the place you went to, the higher rarity of minerals and things there were to mine. So I get that. But there's not even a table or a chart or an easy way to find any of this stuff out. Whereas in EVE, not only were there like 15 bajillion players who had done it and compiled spreadsheets... But even in the game itself, you could go through and look at each of the different things and see, ah, oh, yes, this material breaks down to to these three things, which are used to produce this or that or whatever. And there's none of that in-game for this. So that can get a little bit annoying. I'm going to sit down at one point and just sort of make a collection of everything if I keep playing this game. Uh-oh. But, yeah, it's it's good. It is good in the way it is. Like, the game technically is proficient. And I do think that it's generally a good game. But it's something about the way that I'm interacting with it that is just like, eh, this is not, like, the greatest. And I don't know if it's because I've played EVE Online so much, which is the game that this is so clearly inspired by and in a lot of cases imitating. uh, Or if it's perhaps my previous issues with Eve and like subconsciously my brain's like "Mm, you shouldn't be doing this you know you shouldn't be doing this so I'm gonna let it I'm gonna let sit with me a little bit I'm gonna let simmer and just see if my feelings change if I continue to play it and if so you know if if it changes and how I change um I would I would definitely recommend this to someone who likes this type of games I think if you don't have my specific hangups you would really enjoy it as is, and if they continue to develop it down the avenue that they intend to, then it will only continue to grow in its complexity and uh, 
grow more competent in the areas that it's trying to to do so well in. Like, it's very solid. I just have my own personal hang-ups with this type of game. So, also that is Also Ast- crack for you. Pretty much. Uh, that, but yeah, that's Astrox Imperium. Good game. Little weird for me on the inside. I did it. I got through all three without another cough drop, but I'm immediately going to pop one right now. I was going to say, do you want to take a quick break so I can top, uh, top off my tea? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go make a cup of tea. So we'll go get some, some warm, warm beverages and, and uh, then, uh, then we'll come, uh, come back to the recruit boarding studio for our game club. Indeed. And we are back to discuss April's game club. Or not April's Game Club, March's Game Club. Uh, and the Game Club game that we played was Company of Heroes. Now, if this is the first time that you're joining us for a Game Club, uh, what Game Club is is that Rage and I typically have very different tastes in games, and even when we do play the same type of game, it's usually not at the same time. So every month for Game Club, we pick a game that we both play at the same time and invite the com- community to play with us, be that either actually with us or to just play it alongside of us and send in their thoughts and things and we discuss it at the same time. Um, Rage and I typically have different interests and philosophies how we approach gaming. So sometimes we get some very interesting, occasionally diametrically opposed views on games. See Vampire the Masquerade. Or Skyrim. Oh, don't get me started on Skyrim. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to. So let's just not go there. <laughs> and instead, let's go discuss Company of Heroes. Company of Heroes is a real-time strategy game. They released in originally in the mid two thousands, like two thousand five, two thousand six, September eleventh, um, two thousand six. Is that for sure the release date, or is that when they oh, updated? That's it? Uh, the Legacy Edition. So that's the original release release date. Okay. Um. The game has been, what, remastered? Uh, it had a, a, a re-release. It wasn't a remaster, uh, unless you count behind the scenes, uh, uh, engine stuff, because they actually brought it up to DirectX 11, and they also put in Steam matchmaking, even though, you know, really nobody plays it anymore, so, yeah. Gotcha. So... Yeah, um, and I would say I, been, I would call it a squad-based uh, RTS because you're uh, controlling individual groups of units, not individual units. So it's a little bit different. Yeah, and I tend to think of it more of, as real-time tactics. Um, you can get re- you know unit reinforcements on each uh, each mission that you play in some way, and some of them do involve more sort of traditional RTS mechanics where you're building a base and collecting resources and whatnot. But uh, the low unit counts for missions, as well as the fact that, yes, it is squad-based, makes it have a much more sort of on-the-ground tactical feel. Visceral. Um, yeah, very visceral. Um, I know the way that I played was that um, I would sort of focus on one, not necessarily one unit or one group of units, but sort of, uh, or, or one squad, rather. But I would have a group of a few units, and they would have a task, and I would control them for a while, and then micromanage them in a defensive position. And yeah, I would micromanage them until they got to a point where I needed to just leave them for a bit, and I would move to the next group. 
and so forth until I had accomplished all of my objectives on the mission. Yeah, and I was taking it more like a traditional RTS where it wasn't on every mission I was able to do this, but I was juggling a couple different units uh, or groups of units uh, trying pincer maneuvers and uh, flanking tactics uh, depending on the map, because it really varies. There's some more open maps uh, on the campaign, but then a lot of times they force you into more corridor-laden maps, uh, where the enemy is just kind of hanging out instead of actively attacking. And it's kind of weird how they go back and forth between these two uh, kind of uh, extremes, honestly, because at some point it almost feels like... It, uh, uh, MMO a dungeon where, you know, all the, all the monsters are just kind of hanging out in the dungeon. That's what it felt like on some of the company heroes maps. You know, the, uh, the units were just hanging out, uh, waiting for you to come along to kill them. Right. Which I honestly preferred the smaller, tighter maps. Typically they were towns. Um, I, there's a couple of the air quotes or, well, there's a couple of the, you know, outdoors or, wilderness, whatever type of maps that are more closed off. But I really like the, the, the city fighting, um, you know, going from street to street, mm-hmm. uh, moving up mortar teams, and artillery barrages and yeah, I mean, that was kind of embarrassing buildings. That, that was the uh, kind of the newsreel highlight of uh, World War II was the tr- uh, was the city fighting, uh, just like trench warfare was for uh, World War One. You know, it's, uh, what, uh, what that one war was remembered, <clears throat> was remembered for most outside of, you know, the, well, I should say in the European theater, because remember, World War II was a true world war where it was multiple theaters. As opposed yeah. to World War One, where you could really just call it a European war. Well, they were, well, mostly, I should say. Yeah, the I would say the bulk of World War One was concentrated in Europe, but there was fighting in other places of the world. Yeah, well, I, uh, well, I was saying mostly, but uh, in World War Two, it was a lot more spread out. Yeah. Yeah, you, know, you um, had uh, the, the Pacific and the European theaters, and you had the African theater in World War Two. Uh, that was a lot more important to one another. Yeah. Um, the main campaign or the first campaign there's what five or six campaigns in total well also it's, it's based got, off the dlc which i think the steam DLC, edition yeah, uh, pretty much includes it at this point doesn't it actually i'm heading over to double check that uh actually no it does not it just includes uh, the base version it's just the base version but honestly i would strongly suggest getting the complete package which is uh, opposing Fronts and Tales of Valor, which is the British uh, campaign and the German campaign, which each of the different main factions has a very different play style, which I really appreciated. The British are, are more mobile with a mobile uh, command post, and the Germans are more based around tank warfare, if I recall correctly. Yeah, the... The United States has got a lot of specialized uh, infantry, which, I mean, everyone has their specialty, specialty units, but the, the U.S. seems to get a lot more infantry-based things, whereas the Germans, they've got a lot more mechanized warfare. They've got 
more tanks and uh, they've got more armored units because the United States has got the Sherman, the Abrams and tank, the Sherman, not, yeah, the, uh, the crocodile, Sherman. yeah, the Sherman, the crocodile, the Wolverine, Wolverine, which is only available in like one or two of the campaign. Yeah, missions. and I never used that damn thing. I didn't either. Um, the Wolverine is a tank destroyer for anyone out there who doesn't know. So it is extremely vulnerable to return fire, but it's got a much more powerful gun, so it can take out tanks and armored positions faster. Yeah, but honestly, it feels like the Wolverine really isn't needed in uh, the balance of things because of how the game is. It's The game is still set in the rock-paper-scissors-esque balance where, where uh, armored uh, units are strong against infantry for the most part. Uh, infantry is, uh, strong against, uh, I would guess, uh, more artillery, uh, indirect fire, that sort of thing. But indirect fire and other tanks are very strong against other tanks. But because of how the game sets up the tanks as, uh, essentially, uh, a moving target because, <clears throat> yeah, sorry. Uh, there's the side armor and the rear armor, and the rear armor is a lot thinner, just like in real life. So, if uh, a uh, infantry unit with the proper weapons can get behind it or get close enough to lob uh, sticky uh, uh, grenades uh, at the tank, an uh, infantry unit can disable a tank, but vice versa, a tank that is upgraded enough and is uh, controlled properly... Uh, can just decimate an infantry unit, and this is even before you get into commander abilities, which as you progress through the level or even in multiplayer going, uh, you know, back and forth, you gain experience by uh, killing enemies and holding control points, which is also your resource system, which we haven't even touched on yet, or base building, which, right. uh, you build up a set of command points which in multiplayer is one of three different trees uh, that you can go down. Uh, but in the campaign mode, you're always limited to one of the three, and you're usually fo- uh, forced into, like, one major choice. Yeah. So that is also I, I a, will... sort of a counterbalance. But these are usually on a strong uh, timer or use a lot of resources. Yeah. I will say before we get too far away from it, you know, talking about the sort of game balance of unit types and things. Um, I'm, I don't know, an amateur World War II, like, history buff. Like, I used to, back when the History Channel actually had interesting historical shows you mean on the there. History Channel? <laughs> yeah. I used to watch all of their World War II stuff and uh, have seen tons of World War II documentaries and the the companies that are actually in the game, like Able Company and Dog Company and stuff. Like, I've seen some documentaries that talk to people from there or that were, you know, that were in those companies in World War II that survived. And, you know, talking about, like, infantry, like, sneaking up behind or beside a tank and sticky bombs and things like that. Like, that was one of the... That's why you always want to deploy infantry to cover your tanks. Like, in a stand-up fight, you know, nine times out of ten, a tank is going to destroy, just absolutely eviscerate an infantry squad. But if a single soldier can hide 
and surprise a tank, especially in World War II when they didn't have things like a blade of armor um, or, you know, sort of multiple layers of armor, like... What a, like you see in some modern vehicles, they'll have, for example, like a cage that's around the outside of the tank. You're like, well, what the hell is that supposed to do? Well, what that does is that triggers munitions early so that the or reactive armor. charges, yeah, or reactive armor, which will sort of blast outward uh, at a projectile that's coming in. Like before all of that stuff existed, you know, a single guy with, uh, I believe, a Panzerfaust is like these little, they're teeny tiny rocket launchers. It only had an effective range of 20 feet. But, you know, you sneak a guy up close enough to a tank, you could take out a Sherman with a single Panzerfaust. Yeah, which, uh, one guy can which, wipe out you a know, tank. If, if the guy is able to kill the tank, or the tank had it coming, because the tank really should have heard that guy's brass balls banging against one another. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's very true. But, um, you know, so those, those little things, like, yes, most of the time... A tank is going to wipe the floor with an infantry squad in the game. But if you position your infantry right, they do stand a chance against a tank. Yeah, and also, usually scattered around the different levels are various weapons you could pick up, which splits your infantry unit into two units. So, like, if you pick up a heavy... Sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. It, it, it depends on what kind of weapons you pick up. And also, it depends on how many uh, guys are left in that particular unit. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Because you start off, uh, at least with the Americans, the base infantry riflemen have six guys in as a uh, as a unit. Well, if they pick up a machine gun that uses three guys, you know, it'll split into two uh, units of three, and then you can possibly bring in reinforcements depending on the map and where you are, because it requires you to be within range of a HQ or paratroopers within drop zone to just drop from the sky. But if the infantry unit only has three guys left in it, well, they're all going to pick up the machine gun, and you lose the infantry unit, and you get a machine gun unit instead. So you can't just blindly pick up weapons, otherwise you're going to run out of units, particularly on some of the more insidious maps where, you know, you are having to hold out. Uh, your defense maps are very bad about it. Some of the kind of... More run-and-gun maps are a bit tougher uh, if you're not paying very close attention to your units. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, and there's and as, uh, some of those uh, weapons pickups are, you know, only, uh, as far as I can tell, only really available as pickups. Like the bazookas, I couldn't really find a way to build those units. So, unless yeah, it's later you can't. On. The um the airborne guys can one of the upgrades for them is a bazooka, um, you know like on the individual units how you could upgrade them individually. Yeah. Uh, um, individually upgrade the individuals. Got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got you got it. Good <laughs> job. Um, they they got a bazooka which would replace one of the riflemen with a bazooka, and and would occasionally see, the riflemen blow themselves up. got a BAR, which is a machine gun, uh, or an assault the, rifle. The uh, uh, rangers would get a Tommy gun. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, which, as yeah, far as I can tell, was a, was a flat upgrade. Yeah. Um, it, it's interesting, though. Like, you could certainly, you could definitely tell a difference. Like, for example, if you upgrade the airborne guys to a bazooka, one, you know, one of those guys is now shooting a bazooka at other units. And, yeah, if you hit a guy, you kill him. But they're extremely inaccurate against individuals. So you lose some of the effectiveness against infantry 
Yeah, uh, with that. Yeah, squad. some of them are not a good upgrade unless you're, it's a very particular upgrade. I think the recoilless rifles actually work not as good against infantry. Yeah. Uh, so you know, it's one of those things that it was kind of a side grade, which I actually really liked. Uh, you know, having that tactical choice and it not just mm-hmm. being just a blind. Well, I got enough resources to upgrade all my units now, so I'll go around blindly collect. No, it's not. Doesn't work yeah. like that. And it requires and you, you to specialize uh, particular units. You know, you, you want your uh, guys that are escorting the armor to be able to take out other armor. So you'd want to upgrade them to recoilless rifles and bazookas and all of that. But your regular infantry yeah. don't need, they, you know, they don't need that. So you don't want to upgrade that kick. You could you spend those resources elsewhere. Which resources, uh, since I've mentioned a couple times, uh, scattered across the map are control points. And uh, all you have to do is capture them to get the resources. It's one of three different resources, fuel, uh, munitions, or manpower. Each control point gives a particular amount of uh, resources of that particular type. So capturing a fuel point that gives uh, five fuel, you'll get five extra fuel a minute added to your entire tally. The more uh, control points you hold, the more resources you bring in. So it replaces the kind of the gatherer unit that you usually get in uh, these RTS games. The flip side of this is you have to have all your territory connected to get all of the resources back. It's essentially simulating supply lines back to the main base. If you uh, get your territory cut off, you lose everything from the far side of that. So if you lose you know, uh, a narrow strip of land that was connecting a lot of territory, you lose a lot of resources coming in, but you could also build up particular control points for actually a fairly hefty amount, uh, at least in the early game, uh, to essentially reinforce it so they have to destroy the outpost before they could start capturing the point, so it gives you time to react, and it also, I, I think it was not quite a double, but it was close to it. It depended, uh, depending actually. depended on the, the control point and the type of uh, resource, right? Yeah, because manpower never got a bonus, at least not that I saw. They just, you know, got the defensive aspect of it, and then you would obviously get the warning if it was being attacked. And I think munitions doubled, and then I think fuel was an extra 50%. But anyway, it was usually uh, in your best interest to fortify at least some of your control points. Uh, but it was a hefty price to pay, but it's something that if you were able to hold on to that territory for long enough, it would pay it back, and then some. De- right. uh, depending on the resource, of course. But everything costs one or a combination of all three of those. So building a tank required fuel and munitions, if I recall correctly. Uh, uh, infantry, of course, costs manpower, but sometimes munitions as well. That sort of thing. And it was mm-hmm. uh, one of those things that uh, the AI was fairly decent at prodding uh, territory, but not always. So sometimes it would just get fixated on a particular point and you could just... Uh, put up uh, stagged defenses there, which engineers, and depending on the command points that you spend, your infantry could build stagged defenses, uh, landmines, uh, machine gun nests, which your infantry could hide in as well, uh, barbed wire, and sandbags, which sandbags provided cover, barbed wire cut off uh, uh, movement outside of uh, cal- uh, armored cavalry, or engineers that had wire cutters to be able to get rid of it. 
So there's a little bit of a rock, paper, scissors there to, you know, cut off infantry, but you're opening yourself up to possibly, uh, you know, heavier units coming in to break that, which I yeah. kind of liked. I have to say, I really, really like the cover mechanics in this game, which when feels odd to say about a strategy game, but there are, there are definitely some, some foibles with it. It's mostly the AI going like, derp, derp, I'm going to stand on both sides of this wall. Yeah. Well, uh, there's, um, uh, uh, essentially three levels of cover. It's a guy standing on the field has no cover whatsoever. Then there's light cover, which whenever you're uh, against it, you get a set percentage of uh, damage resistance, essentially. It basically all bounces off damage resistance or uh, damage avoidance. But, you know, that's cover, right? Uh, like uh, hiding in the bushes or the long grass would be like light cover. Uh and typically a unit that's in light cover would be able to outlast a, a unit that is in no cover unless there's a severe numbers disadvantage. Then there's heavy cover, which is like hiding behind walls or fences and that sort of thing, or hiding in the uh, uh, doorways of buildings and like that. And that's not even counting, uh, you know, getting into buildings, which is uh, actually above heavy cover. Yeah, when you're in a building, you're practically immune to damage, except from a couple of, like, you know, just people shooting at you. You get massive damage resistance. You can kill people inside of buildings. Right, it takes a while. Snipers snipers can usually get one kill every two shots when they're firing into a building, but otherwise the best ways to get somebody out is to just blow up the building with heavy artillery or uh, flamethrowers. I like the flamethrowers. Yeah. They make pretty fires. But I do, I do like the cover system. It's interesting. And when it works, you know, whenever the AI doesn't fuck up, typically if you hold down the, is it the right mouse button? Yeah, right mouse button. Essentially force the, uh, force uh, a facing, which is a lot more important on armor, but it works as well for infantry, particularly infantry that has to set up a weapon like machine gunners, mortars, that sort of thing. Where, yeah, and it gives you a basic idea of where they're going to stand. It'll put like little dots on the ground, and they'll be different colors, mm-hmm. red, yellow, or green for no cover, medium cover, and then heavy cover. Yeah, but the thing is that the AI, the AI kind of count, uh, covers both sides of the map. It, uh, of course, the AI opponent uh, handles their side of things, but also there's an AI for your soldiers. And the idea of it is to make it a little bit more realistic where uh, your soldiers will uh, try to run to cover. It, it's not like, um, well, pretty much every other RTS where soldiers will stand out in the open and fire one another like they're redcoats standing in lines, right? Yeah, if they start getting uh, shot at, they will move a small distance to try to get to cover. They won't, like, run across the map. But if they're kind of standing in the open and there's some trees beside them, they'll try and get behind the trees on their own. Or they'll, you know, try and dive behind something to get some cover. But the problem is that um, these, uh, the AI for the cover mechanics doesn't seem to be all that intelligent. There's been a lot of times that my guys would just uh, dive in the middle of the road into light cover when there was heavy cover right next to them. Uh, they would often leave cover. They would get on the wrong side of cover, which I'm honestly not sure if that counts or not. I know that there is flanking in the game, but... Yeah, I don't think it counts, because the game does heavily promote flanking. Like, for example, the anti-tank guns um, that, you know, infantry can commandeer, they've got sort of shielding, plate shielding in the front, 
and they can soak up a lot of damage, even from uh, armor, before they get taken out. But if you get just an infantry squad to the side of them or behind them, you can wipe them out really quickly because it counts those guys as not being in any cover, and because they're manning the guns, they just stand there. So. Yeah, which is kind of frustrating just to see the AI for your soldiers break the most interesting part of this game, honestly, because uh, having a cover system and a flanking system and an RTS opens up a lot of strategic possibilities, but because... Yeah, the AI could just derp out at times. And that's not even counting the times that you tell a unit to attack another unit and the other unit starts to run away. They'll leave cover and follow them. There was a, I haven't actually seen that happen. Oh. Like whenever they get the like the little panic symbol that they're running back to HQ. Oh, uh, I well, the, the retreat. Uh, yeah, I've actually had, uh, I lost a couple of units because they would, uh, I was trying to, get them to finish off a uh, mortar team and they retreated and my guys uh, just you know ran after them right into a, a couple of tanks so and I didn't catch it in time so you know that was a couple uh infantry units lost and there's also a veterinary system where as uh units uh gain experience fighting they rank up and they uh, get a bit of a damage bonus and a bit of damage resistance from what I can tell. And yeah, you uh, can also you, call in. Yeah, you can call in the units from the previous map as well for a, a, you know, a lot more resources, which is an interesting right, they, uh, way to balance things. But they come in uh, fully decked out essentially. Yeah, with everything upgrades and any veterancy bonus that they acquired. One more thing about the cover system is that. Almost everything in the game is destructible. And they do it in a way that actually makes a lot of sense. Like, one thing that frustrates me about lots of games is it's like, I'm going to fucking take. Why can't I just drive through that wall? Well, well you in can. Company of Heroes, you can. So, you know, you can drive tanks through walls. Um, most explosives will, or explosives will destroy most types of cover immediately. Yeah, buildings um, collapse up pretty realistically. Yeah. There's some things that are sort of map critical that can't be destroyed, like most bridges are indestructible um, and things like that. Uh, and even though buildings can be destroyed, you can't really go through ruins at all. Like yeah, unfortunately. Which, which kind of makes sense because it would be so slow and would expose you so much. Yeah, but it would be nice to be able to put my sniper on top of a ruined building. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that's a, a very small thing. Like, I just, I like that. Even things like the wreckage of tanks becomes heavy cover, but uh, can't no be tanks. Destroyed. No, no, no. Tanks themselves are cover. Well, yes, tanks are cover that you can advance infantry behind. But you know, I'm, I'm talking about like a, a destroyed tank. The the husk of the tank becomes cover, but that also can be destroyed if it's hit with enough explosives. Mm-hmm. So I just I really like. That's another aspect of the cover system I really like. Yeah, like Before we get too far away from it, I wanted to mention that. Yeah, like uh, on one map, I was actually having trouble because uh, the uh, the AI immediately started attacking my base, which we should probably should talk about base building uh, when we're done with this. Um, yeah. But they kept sending in uh, armor units uh, mixed in with infantry, and I was having more and more trouble dealing with the infantry because they had more cover around my base. 
uh, eventually I was able to push out of that, but yeah, you know, it took me a lot longer than uh, otherwise uh, in any pretty much any other game because they kept getting more and more cover, and I wasn't destroy. Uh, you know, I just didn't want to spend that much time destroying it because you know there was a lot of it husks of uh, tanks, and it takes quite a bit to destroy a husk. So yeah, yeah it. It's an interesting system. I just wish, I wish more games did that actually. I do too. Why does every game have to steal loot boxes and not a cover system like this? Because <laughs> loot boxes are easy. Good cover systems are hard. Yeah, which, uh, you know, they, uh, Normandy Beach, it just wasn't the same without the loot boxes, was it? <laughs> no, it wasn't. <laughs> it definitely was not. And I also have to admit that I like the fact that Yes, they started with D-Day, of course, because, you know, that's, you know, like the big defining moment of the turning of the war. But they didn't dwell on it. It was all either the stuff that happened behind the scenes on D-Day that doesn't really get a lot of spotlight or other operations like the Red Ball Express. You know, the supply line uh, for the allies that happened uh, shortly after D-Day to keep the momentum going. It was... Refreshing that it wasn't focused on, oh, we're at, you know, this battle again. We're at this battle again. No, it was a little behind the scenes things. It was a lesser yeah. uh, scene side to the war, which was refreshing, I should say. So. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about the base, base building, building real quick. Yeah. Or well, not necessarily real quick, but let's go ahead and do that before I start talking about other stuff. Yeah. The base building is. That incredibly basic in this game. It's essentially uh, released on the American campaign, what, like six buildings? Something like that? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, six, yeah, it's yeah, pretty six much or just, seven. There's not a lot. Yeah, it's pretty much uh, build one of each and you're pretty much done with base building. You're, you have the barracks, you have a triage tent, which the triage tent is actually a lot more important uh, than pretty much any of the other buildings outside just production because it heals uh, allies around it. Uh, and uh, the health system in this game is a little weird where uh, it's a, almost like a segmented health bar where well, I guess it would be a segmented health bar now that I really think about it. Like your infantry units are, uh, are six guys in it. Well, the health drops, but it once it gets past a certain point, then you lose a guy. Well, the triage center will allow you to patch back up to essentially the maximum health of your current guys. But also it seems like it measures the health individually of each individual unit because I've noticed I've had uh, infantry units that were pretty banged up, but we're still pretty much at maximum capacity or, you know, near there. And I had other units that had more health, but had fewer guys. So I'm thinking it's uh, measuring the health of the each individual soldier and it has like a combined health of everyone. But I'm not a hundred percent certain on that. I didn't, yeah. I didn't spend time trying to figure that out, but the triage allows you to essentially uh, get as much as you can without spending the resources to resupply. You have the barracks, you have a motor pool, which uh, builds the essentially the light vehicles, which honestly I'm skipped most of them <laughs> using them. Yeah, the half track's not that great. I mean, it can transport infantry around, but most oh. of the maps are small enough you don't have to worry about. Well, that. no, no, the half track also has a, another important feature. 
Are you talking about the upgrade to the... Well, no, I was talking about uh, replenish troops on the field. Oh, I didn't know the half-track could do that. Yeah, the half-track and uh, uh, forward barracks could uh, replenish uh, uh, depleted troops. Yeah, I knew the forward barracks could. I, I just didn't use half-tracks enough to, to realize that, I guess. Yeah, I just never used them at all, but you know, it was in one of the tooltips. Uh, uh, essentially, each unit could be replenished uh, to have uh, essentially empty slots refilled with uh, fresh recruits. But the veterinary po- bonus is based on the unit as a whole or the squad as a whole and not individual soldiers. So it's a lot more important to retreat units that have a lot of experience behind them because you could replenish them and get them back in the fight as a more experienced unit instead of, well, let them die off and I'll just train another unit and send them in as sort of like a Zerg rush, just crashing wave upon wave. Uh, It doesn't, it, it would work, but it's a lot more effective to retreat Units in uh, swap out. Uh, I found having a yeah. A, yeah, a group of like three or four uh, squads send them in and uh, tabbing through with the individuals, essentially squads in a battalion to uh, move them forward. Uh, yeah, I've really played this as an RTS instead of a tactics game, huh? <laughs> yeah. Uh, to that's okay. Uh, to essentially just. Bunny hop uh, each of the individual battalions forward while the other one uh, went back to replenish uh, uh, troops if need be, or to cover a flank. Uh, I found that to be the most effective way for a lot of the maps. Once I was able to build up to that point, and it's getting to that point, which is the irritating thing, because the base building, like I said, is very basic. It's more of a set it and forget it. Once you have enough you, uh, or uh, all the buildings, you could just hit uh, F one through F five to tab to the different ones. You don't even have to send them as a uh, as a unit hotkey, which is nice. But yeah, you know, it's it feels like the base building was almost an afterthought. You know, it's like oh, we build an RTS, we need base building. Okay, well we'll, we'll get it done uh, pretty quickly, and that's about it. Yeah. No. Uh, um, I, I would have to say building defenses is a lot more important and has a lot more of an impact on things. But then again, you have a lot of levels that are focused on essentially holdout missions on a set timer. Then you do have uh, uh, missions where you're building up a particular barracks. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with you that I think building up defenses is more important um, because of they just feel like. Yeah, the, the base building aspect feels fairly last minute while the defenses are like, ah, oh, yes, we need these things to put in, so we need these defenses that can do this thing and can be deployed this way. Where it's like, oh, we gotta have some way for them to get units, so uh, I guess let's throw in some buildings with some very basic upgrades. Yeah, and we mentioned the forward barracks. Well, all the buildings that you could capture or enter, you could also convert for a certain amount of, I guess it was manpower and munitions, if I recall correctly, into a forward barracks. Which, which could build most of the basic units. Yeah. And uh, also, any units that are around it could replenish uh, their troops there instead of having to go all the way back to the main base, even though the retreat button still send them all the way back to the main base, which is irritating. Yeah, because it says return to the nearest HQ, I think, on the retreat button. But it's like, when do you have more than one HQ? Um, the only map I can think of where that you get technically two HQs is the defense map 
on what was it Carnes uh, or Sarn or whatever and you've got like the the building that gets captured and then they overrun it and you retreat back to the church yeah. and that becomes like your second HQ but um yeah I did use forward barracks a lot although going back to the territory connection thing you can only build a forward barracks in your own territory that is connected to your main base mm-hmm. which I liked yeah, there was no choosing that. You have to uh, be strategic about it. Yeah. And usually the buildings that you capture are not at full health either. So can you repair buildings? Not that I know of. I mean, you can repair your base buildings, but I don't think you can repair just like random houses and stuff that you convert to forward so barracks. So you have to be careful about not only where you're building the uh, forward barracks, but also the sight lines because you know, it can be taken out fairly easily. Right. But also, you know, if you uh, commandeer a tall building where you can put a couple of snipers in there and start picking off things. Because uh, yeah. the firing uh, range on the uh, sniper is actually a lot longer than their sight line. So other units could serve as a, uh, a, a to get rid of the fog of war to allow the sniper to fire from a lot further. Yeah. Although the sniper, for me, typically served as an artillery spotter because you can... One of the sniper's abilities is camouflage. So unless you open fire or get too close to another unit, they're basically invisible. Uh, Or if you garrison a building, you pop up. But I would just walk the sniper around and use him to spot for artillery and mortars. And Um, then taking the shot. Yeah. I think I couldn't tell for sure, and I didn't go to try and find it, but I think that that's the same voice actor who did Garrus in Mass Effect. The the American sniper voice. Actually, I meant to look up the cast, but I didn't. Uh, let's see. Company Heroes. I'm looking here. I'm, I can't recall the name of the guy. Brandon Keener. I'm not seeing him on here. Yeah, Garrus Vakarian in Mass Effect. Here he is, Company of Heroes. All it says is additional voices. Um, so definitely Sniper, so, huh? I, I'm pretty, yeah, pretty positive that's him. There's some other voices that I recognize that I don't know the names, but I'm like, ah, oh, I've heard you mm-hmm. in another game. Yeah. But, you know, that kind of happens in a lot of, a lot of video games. Um Mm-hmm. You know, there's some pretty big recognizable voices that it's like, oh yeah, I remember you from this game or that game or whatever, but. Or really, uh, major voice actors in general. Yeah. Um, but anyways. Uh, well, it, it would help if, uh, Searching Company Heroes, uh, uh, it sent me to the IMDb page of the movie, not the game. Oh. So that would explain why I was like, okay, I don't recognize any of these character names. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just went on IMDb and searched for uh, Company of Heroes. Yeah, Company of Heroes game. Yeah. Yeah, there it is. But anyways, anyways, um, I didn't do think that's fitting because Garrus is a sniper in Mass Effect. I like that. I wonder if that 
was any bearing on those two things or if it was just random chance. But, uh, so the, you, we were talking about D-Day earlier. Uh, this game definitely came out in the very near post Saving Private Ryan. Yeah. And uh, well, I was, uh, well, I just was double checking one voice. Yeah, that definitely was Steve Bloom. Steve Bloom, that's who I was thinking of in my brain. Just like, I was like, I recognize that person's voice, but I'm drawing a blank on who it is. Well, uh, he, uh, around this time was uh, probably most well known for the English version of Cowboy Bebop, uh, anime. Yeah. I'm going to have to force you to watch that then. Yeah, I mean, I've never seen Cowboy Bebop. I know what it is, but I've never seen it. Uh, yet. But yeah, so this, I mean, this game very obviously came out in the, uh, relatively near time span after Saving Private Ryan and Band of Brothers. As someone who has seen both of those things a couple of times, um, the, the D-Day scene, it's not shot for shot, uh, Saving Private Ryan. But it's very heavily inspired by Save It Private Ryan. The Saving Private Ryan. I'm just waiting for you to start the, uh, uh, accidentally saying the porn parody. Saving Ryan's private. No, shaving. Oh, is it shaving? Okay. Or at least that's the I've one never I've actually uh, seen. That's the one I always heard of. I never uh, went out to actually watch it, but it, it, I heard of it a couple times and then. It took me a while to unhear that whenever I was hearing Saving Private Ryan. Yeah. Um, but anyways, and then a lot of the American campaign feels very Band of Brothers. The Band of Brothers follows the 101st Airborne, which I think is the Airborne company you play in the second mission. I can't remember. Like, one of the troopers will say, like, their company sometimes when you click on them, but I don't think it explicitly says in the mission. Or if it does, I missed it. But anyways, uh, the 101st, you know, marched into Germany along with everybody else, and they participated in the Battle of, or uh, participated in Carentan. Uh, Fox Company of the 101st uh, Airborne Division. Yeah. So, um, which Carentan is, uh, the, what, the third and fourth mission? Yeah. Um, uh, the, uh, the battle of Caratan is about Fox company of the one of first. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, the Wikipedia page has it, uh, has the individual companies and, in, uh, what missions they're in. Okay. Um, but anyways, the story structure, there's a couple of the characters, uh, like the Lieutenant and the Sergeant that feel very much like the Lieutenant and the Sergeant from band of brothers and just the way that they interact and talk. Obviously, you don't spend as much time with them, um, with Banner Brothers being a combination of, you know, action and then historical drama. Uh, but it just feels very inspired by it, but in a good way. Uh, they, the game feels like it took it very seriously, um, and tried to be as historically accurate as possible. And the way that it portrays those things feels real, like at least as real as it could for early to mid 2000s tech. And respectful. And I, I liked that. I really appreciated that. The game can get very brutal or very gory as well. That's not something we've really talked about. But, I mean, this game definitely... I don't know what it's rated, but if it's not rated at least teen, possibly mature, I'd be surprised. Um, um, or whatever you're... Looking on, uh, it's very mature. Country. Yeah. Um, if, if infantry get hit, 
directly or very close by with an explosion of some kind, artillery mine, whatever, uh, they will get blown to bits and chunks will fly in the air. Uh, that limbs can get knocked or knocked off, can get shot off or blown off. Yeah, the unions um, get as sweary really, as me. Yeah, they swear a lot. There's not a lot of blood, um, which, you know, it's an RTS. You're zoomed pretty far out, so I'm not sure quite how that would work anyways in a fairly realistic portrayal. Everybody's filled with raspberry jam. (laughs) But there is uh, plenty of of gore and uh, and quite foul fucking language. So, Um, you know, I I don't think that's a bad thing. I really like it. It definitely, again, lends that sort of air of realism that I think they're going for. I will say that... And in some ways... Oh, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, in some ways, conveys much more realism than just having fancy schmancy graphics like they would probably just try and do it if the, this game was produced today they would focus on like check out all the cool fancy in engine cutscenes we can do but it's like well, just having somebody get blown to bits if they get hit with a tank shell is like oh fuck that would happen if mm-hmm. I got hit with a tank shell yeah uh, it's funny that you mentioned that because uh, there's a definite uh, uh, juxtaposition between when they have the pre-rendered uh, cutscenes and when they have the in-engine stuff isn't there. And I will say that the game has not aged particularly well. It's not an ugly game, but you know it's you know it's started to it's right on that sort of edge where the, you know this is looks very primitive. You know things like when uh, they are showing sniper scopes in uh, the cutscenes. You know it's like it's a hexagon. <laughs> It's very clearly yeah. not round. Or a lot of jaggies and that sort of thing. Yeah. Just things that are jump out a lot more today as flaws when back in the day, back when this was released. You know, that was just, yeah, the norm. This was a very, yeah, decent looking game for then. But now, uh, well, I, I actually could, it was critically acclaimed for his physics engine. Uh, and actually realistic uh, effects, but, so, yeah, it was a pretty game for the time, but by today's standards, you know, it doesn't look that good, <laughs> and just, uh, no. whenever they go between, the, uh, especially in the early missions, whenever they have a lot more of the pre-rendered cutscenes, there's a definite difference between them and the in-engine stuff, and it's kind of funny, actually. <laughs> Yeah. But uh, they also show uh, the uh, Germans as, you know, just uh, uh, soldiers as well. They're, they're not the, you know, uber uh, evil Nazis. Yeah, they're just soldiers a lot of times. They're not the Ubermensch. Yeah. They're just regular old dudes. Because in, in one of the early cutscenes, it's just like they're standing around chatting. Uh, and drinking coffee. S- drinking coffee and smoking cigarettes. And it's like, yeah, that's normal. People do that. You know, and then the 101st lands, and, you know, then it turns into a war zone, but... To some extent, I like that. Like, yes, the Nazis, particularly the Nazi party and the Nazi ideals, were very bad. But a lot of people were just people, you know, who were pressed into service. Yeah, which, uh, um, which it's a easy trapping to get into to, uh, you know, portray the whole army as, you know, all of Hitler's elites, uh, you know, they believed everything that the Fuhrer said. Well, that's not true. You know, some of them were pressed into service. Some of them uh, saw it as defending their homeland or trying to recapture their homeland, but then believe in the ideals, and they were just soldiers. 
So it made it a lot more realistic showing that humanizing moment in an early cutscene that, you know, this wasn't, uh, you know, two ideals clashing. This was just two groups of people. This was two armies. Yeah. It was, uh, it's good. Even though he wasn't my goddamn mother and wouldn't make me that coffee like I liked. <laughs> uh, I don't, I don't feel like they take it too far either. No. I don't feel like they're trying to say, no, they feel sympathy for the Nazis, but it's just like, hey, a lot of these people are just people too. Mm-hmm. You know? So, I, it, I feel it, like it's, it's, it's going to sound weird me uh, using this particular phrase, but it felt respectful. Right. Uh, respectful to the people, not to the ideals. Which I realize these days, people have trouble separating ideal from person. And I definitely can, I can understand that when there's a, such a steeping of, uh, the politics into some people's lives that it's t- uh, tough to separate them. But in this case, you know, it's not like that. Yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, is there really anything else? I mean, uh, I only got about through halfway through the American campaign because the missions get long. They do. Uh, especially um, uh, whenever think... the AI starts to do dumb things and it seems to prolong things. Yeah, I got one more play session in and finished up the mission I was in the middle of. Um, but I yeah, haven't. Yeah, we pretty much uh, ended one. up in the same exact spot because I stopped at the end of the mission that you're uh, on previously. Which it was still like a good eight hours or so that I played it to get to where I was. And like, you know, most most single player campaigns in these types of games, that's how long they are. And we're somewhere between halfway and three quarters. Uh, you know, with just the I, first I would, campaign. I would say we were under halfway if you go by time because some of the later missions are very long. I looked into it, even though I never beat the game. I looked into how long yeah. some of the later missions are, and oh boy, they get pretty damn long. Yeah, I've I've beaten the game previously, but it was some time ago. I will say I, that uh, I've done better uh, playing it this time around than I did last time, but it may just be I'm an older gamer or I you know I know how to handle RTS a little bit better. Because I was using yeah. uh, proper tactics instead of just kind of just trying to build a ball of death and throw at the enemy. And also having a yeah. proper mouse work. Or I should say a mouse that uh, is suited for an RTS because I had the MMO mouse. So it was a lot easier for me to just cycle through uh, my different units. Yeah. Um, do you want to say uh, we both had this issue with the frame rate? There's a frame rate bug on the Steam re-release. Yeah, and I didn't catch it at first, but then again, most of the times I would catch it. I was more, I was looking at, boy, there's like 10 polygons in that sniper rifle. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. um, Or, boy, he has really squinty eyes for a German. (laughs) So the frame rate is locked to 50 FPS via some sort of glitch or, you know, coding error or something. And in Steam, there's just a really easy, easy way to fix it by going into the, <laughs> uh, considering the I had, launcher options. Considering the problems I had when I tried to fix it, that, that was actually kind of funny. You told me how to fix yeah. it. 
I put it, I, I put the command code or the command line in, uh, to the advanced options. The game would not load. So I cleared it out and then it loaded with the fix. Yeah. Weird. But I mean, I, you know, it's just dash refresh and then you put in whatever frame rate you want. And I, I set mine at 120. The game doesn't like frame rates that are not in multiples of 15. Like it just, does not do well with that at all. So, because I initially set it to 144, I was like, yeah, I'll just, you know, because I've got a 144 hertz monitor, and it was choppy and horrible. So I, I changed it to 120, and then it was smooth at 120, 99% of the time. But that's the only issue that I had. It hasn't crashed. I haven't had any bugs or anything. Um, well, why don't you try 150? I guess I could have, but... <laughs> you know, 120 was good enough. Blasphemy. Uh, but yeah, honestly, 60 would have probably been good enough. Well, I was just, I was starting to get a little bit of like a fatigue, almost headache, but I think it was, I don't think it was the frame rate uh, issue. I think it was just that it required me to focus so much and I was doing proper tactics. And because the missions were so damn long. And I, one thing I did have a problem with, and I'm not sure if it's just the fact that I was controlling multiple units. So it, I was getting the same voice lines over and over again. But I was uh, getting uh, uh, not much warning whenever I was getting counterattacked. So I was having some issues with that. Uh, where, you know, I would start getting an outpost attacked. And because I was switching between units, it, uh, they would talk over the announcer, Steve Bloom, uh, to say, uh, you know, our outpost is getting attacked or whatever. So I was not getting that. And the map on this game is actually kind of small <laughs> uh, to be able to catch uh, the flashing red. That, or, you know, I was just not watching it closely enough, which was also a possibility, but it was just... Right, that was, that and the AI for the cover system was my two big bugbears. Yeah. Oh, and, well, there's also one other that we didn't mention. Pathing. Particularly with the armored units. The armored units, they drive like newbies in World of Tanks. (laughs) Uh, We mentioned how uh, tanks have the side armor, which is weaker, and then the rear armor, which is even weaker. And also, uh, individual components could be damaged. Uh, they could be damaged a lot easier uh, on the sides and in the back, so yeah, for the most part. Like, treads could be disabled by getting a, a side attack a lot easier than the front. Uh, rear could uh, destroy the engine or damage the engine so the uh, tank moves slower or comes to a dead stop. Uh, the main gun could get shot off or damaged. Uh, the, uh, if your tank is upgraded to have a machine gunner, that he could get killed and you, know, you lose the machine gunner. Well, all this is dependent on that flanking system where you have to protect your vulnerable parts for these heavier units. Well, the pathing system just isn't quite there. The infantry will try to get out of the way of tanks, but other tanks will not try to get out of the way of other tanks. So there was a couple times because, especially in the last mission that you played, the uh, ba- uh, the uh, storming of the city, uh, that particular city, 
uh, because I was, uh, uh, there's a lot of areas where there's just snipers watching down a long corridor. I would, uh, take crocodiles down the streets and plane them out to clear out, uh, streets for my infantry to run in. Well, there was a couple times that I lost a tank because one would just turn around and start backing towards the enemy and I would get a, a, an anti-tank shell right up the tailpipe. Or there was a couple times where I would just have my two crocodiles get caught in one another and one would just try to wiggle back and forth past instead of like the infantry would do and move ever so slightly out of the way of the other tank. And it was something that made me not want to use armored units that often until I was forced to it by this particular mission just because of how utterly brain dead the pathing system could be. Infantry, it wasn't as bad. There was a couple of times that they seemed a little confused about where to go, especially when going across the map, but they usually got there pretty quickly. It was the uh, the armored cavalry that I always had trouble with. Yeah. Um, when clicking and holding to determine a facing would help. To a but degree, but that doesn't help with even the Even sometimes that could, yeah. Yeah, but that still doesn't help with the pathing issues that I had. And just the fact that even if you tell a, a unit to, uh, you use the pat, the, uh, facing to essentially tell them to reverse. That wasn't even a guarantee. There was a couple of times I would use that to try to get, uh, especially it was the Shermans on, on the uh, Red Ball Express level. I lost a Sherman uh, pretty quickly because he got caught out by an anti-tank uh, uh, unit uh, as I was trying to clear out a little bit. So I was told to back up just to keep forward-facing armor. And I was mm-hmm. using the facing. Well, I guess either I went back too far or the AI decided, uh, you know, this war is not for me. I quit. And he turned around, exposed your armor, and blew up. <laughs> so it was a little frustrating. <sighs> but yeah, overall, I liked the game. It's just there was a lot of little bugbears that made me fully recommend it. Yeah. But there's I, I, but there's not a lot of RTS out there these days. There's some, but there's also not a lot that are is so campaign focused. Yeah. I uh I really like this game. I pretty much fully recommend it to anybody um is it that is interested in RTS. Um it's definitely one of the better ones. Um and you know, aside from the uh, aged graphics. It, I think it, from a playing perspective, it still, it still holds up. Yeah, I would say it holds um, up a lot better because of its unique, uh, attributes more than, uh, it being an RTS. Yeah. Just, uh, because you don't see, you know, a cover system. I, I can't think of another RTS that has a cover system like this. Or even a, no, or, can I. or even a flanking system is like this is pretty rare. I think it uh, pops up every so often, like the Total War games. But the Total War games is a whole different beast. So that wraps up the game club. I think so. I think so. I don't have anything else to say. I 
I don't think. We definitely covered it very fully. Um, good game. Good game. Yeah. So, uh, the game club we are doing for April is going to be Stardew Valley. Yeah, we're, April is yeah, a, we're going out to pasture. We are. April is a long month in terms of how the weeks worked out. We have, uh, I, think, I believe it's five weeks in April to put some playtime in. Um, and Stardew Valley is a game that I have played some before. I've always enjoyed. I wanted to play more. And when we both did our... Because the way we pick games, we basically pick a list of five games. And we sort of, you know, three, two, one. Here's my list. Um, and we just compare. And both of us actually had Stardew Valley on the list. Which, uh, so, by our bylaws, is an automatic win for Stardew Valley. <laughs> and we yeah. didn't even have to go to the debating process of trying to weed things down. Like, eh, I don't like that game. I don't want to play that. Or I don't feel like that. Uh, that's come which, up with a couple games every so often that, you know, one of us just isn't in the mood for, or doesn't, uh, you know, doesn't feel like playing right now. Which is fine. Yeah. Yeah, this has happened maybe two or three times prior where we've both picked the same game. And mind you, uh, uh, I picked my uh, games a lot earlier this time, so my list was set long before you were uh, uh, sending up your list, if I recall correctly. Yeah, because I did mine Sunday night before we hung out. Yeah, and I did mine uh, Sunday afternoon. But, yeah, that's part of the fun of, you know, uh, and... Also, I usually try to do a more odd list and have some weird things on there. And sometimes I've actually come through into Game Club. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Stardew Valley has got multiplayer now. Yeah, is it still like in beta? Uh, or no, is it's it... fully out. It's uh, co-op. Is it just for two people? I'm not sure. I think it has more. Stardew Valley is a game. I'm not sure if I would want to do co-op though. Uh, up to three controlling, so four-player co-op. Okay. Because uh, Stardew Valley, it could be played either you know very casually, you know, just set down, you know, farm, maybe go fishing a lot, go mining, and also there's different uh, and there's different <laughs> and there's different starting maps that you could choose now that focuses on either fishing or. Uh, mining or being a, more of an adventurer or, yeah, a little bit of, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of what the other map is now that I think about it. And I'm blanking on the other, uh, on the other map or the basic map that's more focused on farmable space. But there could be a lot of min maxing and it could turn into kind of like a factorial problem where, you know, turn around and, oh, well, well, everything's done. There's nothing for, yeah, to do or, uh, yeah, it turns into kind of a, almost a bossy situation. So I'm not sure if this would be a good game night, uh, game. Yeah. Uh, it's something to consider. Good, uh, yeah. I'm pretty chill about, um, Stardew. I mostly just spend every day, like, going and chopping down stuff. And then planting things in the dirt. That's it. I've wood people in town. I still haven't completed the the very first like objective where it's like meet all twenty something people in the town. I'm like, no. I'm antisocial. 
Yeah, meanwhile, I go hang out with my best bud, George. Yeah. No. What? Uh, the what? I mean, the cranky old man in the wheelchair? I haven't met him. Yeah, there's a cranky old man in a wheelchair. He pretty much just stays in his house. Gotcha. Yeah, I think I've met maybe 18 or 20 people. Now, now here's the other question, and I didn't broach this before uh, we started recording, mostly because I think it would be more interesting this way. Mods. Um, I've never actually, air quotes, completed a run, so I'm going mod less, mod free. I think I'm going to use one mod, and it's going to, well, there's actually a few mods uh, that are interesting. Uh, but there's, uh, some quality of life stuff that I think I'm gonna use. Uh, particularly, uh, as you learn, uh, different resonance, uh, it fills out essentially, you know, their chart of, uh, of, you know, what you, what they like and what they don't like, so you don't have to remember it all. Yeah. But also, probably the big one is that there's a map that you could, uh, uh I think, Base uh, mod is you just talk to them and it fills out their schedule so you don't have to go hunt down the damn people. Mm-hmm. Which is a problem with Stardew Valley because, you know, it, it all the uh, characters have their own schedules. They have their own thing. So, you know, you could hit a situation where you need to talk to someone and you just cannot find them. But I don't really consider that cheaty because otherwise I'll just look it up. <laughs> so, you know, it's more saving me a step. Yeah. I'm probably going to look up a little, just like a quick, like, where is everybody so I can go meet everyone for the first time. I've got, I still haven't got out of the beach to meet What's-His-Face, the fisherman. Haven't done that yet. The fabulous one? Is he fabulous? Or, or, no, there's one guy that's, uh, uh, very fabulous that's a, uh, potential male love interest. And that's the other thing is that, you know, all the characters are bisexual. Yep. I didn't know that. Uh, let's see. I'm looking at... I'm playing a girl. <laughs> there's a shock. I'm a girl. There's a shock. I can't remember if I gave myself pink hair or green hair. Yes. Yeah. I think it's pink. I think I've got pink hair and a shirt with a pink heart and my pants are green. Yeah, and uh, I do have to uh, highlight one thing off the bat since we both started. Um, so, uh, Santa's dead. Uh, the opening cutscene. Uh, am I the only one that looks? Oh, like, your grandpa. Yeah, doesn't he look like Santa in a green in a green suit? Yeah, I guess so. I didn't have that thought like when I watched it, but he does kind of <laughs> on a very poorly drawn bed. <laughs> That's like the worst art in the game, isn't it? <laughs> that bed. Yeah, it's not great. Maybe I'll also get the tractor uh, mod. I'm looking at the top mods. And I'm like, oh, there's a tractor mod. Tractors are fun. But it's expensive to get, so yeah, it balances out. But yeah, I'll, uh, I'll probably uh, do a slightly modded game, not as crazy as I usually do. But yeah, yeah. So Stardew Valley, fun times. Stardew Valley. Hey, looking forward to it. Hey, I wonder if this will uh, trigger Jim because yo, he does love his farming simulator. Ooh, I hope so. Yeah, actually, we didn't even check. A lot to of see- people in the community have Stardew Valley. Yeah, I didn't even check to see who had it. I mean, it's not a very expensive game, and it usually goes on a fairly decent discount now. Uh, let's see. 
Yeah, I'm seeing a lot of people on the list and a lot of people that do not have a ton of time in it. Matter of fact, I see a couple people who do though. Ghost Shark, 187 hours. Ghost Shark. Put you on blast. We're, we're expecting something. Yeah, I mean, I only have 37. Zloskin, who I don't know if she lists the podcast or not, but she's in Discord and plays some games sometimes. Hey, Kyle, get her to do something for this. And then Kyle's played it for a few mm-hmm. hours. Spaceman has. I've played it for a little longer than four hours, because uh, at one point, I don't, I don't know if Steam still does this or not, but at one point I played it some offline while I was at my in-law's house. Uh... And it, yeah, it depends on at the least game. Steam didn't used to track offline time play, but it's not a lot. I've played it maybe 10 hours total. Yeah, I'm sitting at just under 40. Yeah, I have 37 right now. So I'll probably hit about 50 to 60. Start New Valley is kind of yeah. a chillaxed game. I, I tried loading up on the Steam link, and it didn't want to accept my controller. It wanted to accept the controller that was linked to the Steam link, and I have to figure that one out. Oh, yeah, while it's uh, wanting that controller, because that's that's not a good controller. That's my old, worn-out uh, Xbox 360 controller. It has a funky uh, joystick on it. It needs from Viagra. It, uh, yeah, it's just not hard anymore. Ew. So, looking at our time, uh, how do we want to handle this? Do we want to just uh, jump directly to the community corner and then Discovery Queue? My throat would certainly appreciate that. I'm on... Oh, I don't know if you can hear the crinkling papers, but I've got like a double fistful of cough drops here. Oh, double fisting. Oh, my. Yeah, I'm double fisting it tonight. Yeah, see, I just have a, I have a little, well, what was originally a, a Easter egg that's turned into my cough drop uh, uh, container for now. But it has a nice little dome on it, so it keeps them you know, somewhat fresh. So, uh, community side, we didn't have a lot. We had, uh, some discussion about the upcoming, well, sequel to Vampire the Masquerade, which was a very excitable by a, a fair amount of our community. Yeah, I got some big fans in there. Um, I'm somewhat excited for it. I, you know, not gonna dig back into the whole vampire gang club discussion. Generally, I liked it, and generally, you did not. Basically, yeah, but I was more um, caught up on just how clunky it was, and not not a big horror guy, so the horror theme just did not want me to get past that clunkiness. Yeah, but uh, you know, I'm generally looking forward to this, but there are some pretty excited people in our community, so I just you know not gonna like go through everything that was said in Discord, but just want to say like, hey. If you want to participate in community discussions, you could head on over to our Discord, where that we have uh, typically people chatting about stuff every day. We don't have a huge Discord, but there's enough going on there that you could definitely add to it and be noticed. And if you pry enough, there will be a response. Indeed. Uh, I will say that the Discord is still on partial lockdown, so if you join, you have to wait 10 minutes to be able to chat. Uh, that's by design. That's by design. Mostly because we had spam bots, and I actually figured out where they were coming from. They were using the chat link out of the show notes, and it was using that link. And it took me forever to figure out where they were coming from, to be able to you know, try to patch that leak. 
So I cycled that link as well, and it seems like they've stopped for now. But then again, I've also left the server on partial lockdown. So, yeah, it's just you have to wait 10 minutes. It's not that bad. Uh, I still need to toy around with some bots to be able to figure that out. I just don't want to, you know, release our robotic overlord, well, outside of Craig. And (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't sure if that was a call for a laugh, so I paused. It was both. I, did, I had a tiny cough and then I laughed. I, I, you know, I don't want to just turn loose a auto mod and not know what I'm doing with it. So I'm being careful with it and doing some more research on it. And also this past week was me focusing on game club. And well, I've also had my connectivity issues. So, uh, uh yeah, that's, that's directed to sound like, yeah. Right. But if you wish to join our Discord, you can find a link over on our page, vglpodcast.podbean.com. Or you could tweet to us at VGL Podcast on Twitter, and I will send you a DM with it. Or you just email us, and I will do the same, or one of us will do the same. And, but you could also contact us about topics, about questions, or whatever you wish on those channels. So... Doobly do. Indeed, for the discovery. Yeah, Q. it's been a while since we did this. Ooh, this looks like it's up my alley. Possibly, workers and resources, Soviet Republic. This is a <laughs> basic it, real-time Soviet-themed yeah, yeah, uh, city builder No, I've seen tycoon. it before. I, I was tr- okay. I was chuckling at what I just picked. Where's the discovery cube? I'm like, there it is. Yeah, I've actually put in for review code on this on a another site. Uh, but yeah, it looks very interesting. It uh, it's sort of a Sim Town esque almost. It's not full Sim City, but it's not yeah you know, the Sims either. And it really depends on just you know, how the scale goes. It looks like it's rated fairly positively so far. I mean, there's some people complaining about it, of course, but. It seems like it's a more niche city builder, which, you know, it's nice. And, you know, it's a Soviet so- a city builder, so you don't see that that often. Yeah, that's the thing that's got me most interested in it. Soviet city builder. So I got Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines too. <laughs> so I got to steal that for the Discovery Queue. I do have to say that graphically it looks a lot better, but, you know, it's more... That, that's a very nice fire effect, actually, in that screenshot. Uh, but it's more going to be how it plays. You know, how they handle it. And also, since I didn't beat the first one, am I going to be lost in this? So, yeah. And I just got workers and resources as my next discovery queue item. <laughs> so, you got another one? Not yet. I got something that looks interesting. I got something that looks very interesting. This may be up your alley. We the Revolution. Okay. Uh, as... A judge of the Revolutionary Tribunal proceed over complicated cases of ordinary citizens, dangerous criminals, and enemies of the revolution in revolutionary Paris. That sounds very interesting. That does sound very interesting. And it actually has a pretty decent uh, polygonal art style, like a low-poly art style going on. That is very interesting. I I would love to see how this plays out, and that is not an expensive game. 
That is going on my wish list immediately. It looks like it has some sort of tactical elements on it as well, and some sort of dice game going on. That, that's. Oh, I'm interested. That to does see, look pretty. I'm cool. interested to see how this plays out. This is why we have Discovery Cube. It's finding neat junk. <laughs> and yeah, that is it, right? Yeah. So this looks interesting. As long as it doesn't turn out to be another one of these shitty types of things. It's called Shipbuilding Simulator. It looks like a first-person Age of Sail shipbuilding mm-hmm. game. But it's in first person. It doesn't say, or I didn't see VR anywhere, just at a quick glance, but it looks like it would be a VR title. Um, yeah, I don't see anything on there about VR. It's very... this The page is very bare bones, which has got me a little worried it might be utter garbage, but don't know. They could have just put it up, maybe, or it's like an... Well, it says coming soon. Uh, Rippin's Castle. Yeah, I was going to check them out. They've got one, two, three, four, five, six games. Yeah, all of them coming soon. Oh, this is the person who's doing Mech Mechanic Simulator, which I've found before. Maybe. No, 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 this is a different game than what I'm thinking of. Interesting. Well, I'm not going to add to my list, but I just got Tropico 6 again. <laughs> did you get that last time I got, did this? I got the beta. Now, now um, I got the full game. But I think I got something that's also up your alley again. Possibly. Okay. Wolfpack. Crew. Uh, I've seen this somewhere. Not on Steam, but I've seen it somewhere. A crew of players experience the tense atmosphere of a World War II U-boot. Manning the, manning the stations of this realistic co-op simulation game. That sounds really interesting. Essentially, Artemis Bridge Simulator, or Star Trek Bridge Simulator. Only you're in a German but U-boat. Scrub Marines. Yeah. Graphically, it looks decent. I mean, it's not amazing, but I imagine that this is more for the environment of the U-boat than the, you know, the sailors. <laughs> Yeah. Looks like it's an early access, not a cheap game, and the fact that it's co-op focused is a little bit troubling on that. Final release version will be in 2019, so next, oh no, no, sorry, this year. Uh, uh, a campaign with various missions and a- iconic events. I'm just wanting to see if the, uh, Wolfpack will be uh, priced the same during and after the early access pri- uh, period. So, thirty-five bucks for this, and the fact that you need multiple copies—that's a little bit to bite, you know. Yeah. Unless they do some sort of you know pack deal, but I'm not seeing that on here. That's a yeah, uh, that's a little bit much, but for a group of uh, people that's very into World War II, there you go, right? Yeah. Um, so I got, uh, Rage 2. Yes. Which, the sequel to the air question, po- popular question mark, Rage. Yeah. Um, I what, thoroughly what? hate. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I thoroughly hate the picture that they've got here, uh, of this, like, weird looking screaming man. 
I thoroughly dislike that. But, I mean, Rage 2 is a game that I was interested in just from E3 last year. You know, what we saw. Yeah, and the it. fact that Bethesda I is uh, be. pretty much uh, saying, oh shit, we gotta put stuff on Steam again. Yeah. I, uh, I won't be buying it on day one. Uh, I don't I tr- buy games on day one. Uh, the, the original Rage, well, that's not me, uh, had some very odd technical issues. It had a texture streaming issue where it, it was constantly popping in textures and, uh, uh, it was, uh, I was trying to do, uh, texture streaming, but it, it seemed like no matter what hardware you used it on, it never was fast enough and you always had, uh, frame rate dips and you always had weird pop-ins and everything. With enough, uh, different modifications, it got decent, but it was never gone for me. And, I tried recording at one point, but it was just required so much modification. It was unstable. So I didn't want to bother with it. Which was a shame because it was interesting. It was, uh, it wasn't really open world because it seemed to really drive you in, uh, in a very particular direction. More so than what most of the world games does. And also, uh, it was very small maps. Uh, uh almost corridor-esque. Uh, maps, but they seem to be throwing a lot of interesting ideas, but I never got very far in the game. But it was pretty over the top from what I recall, so it, it was interesting. And I'm talking more about uh, your game than you are. <laughs> you are. I didn't really have a ton to say about it. Um, I've already moved on. Uh, well, I have Creatures, Inc. Creatures, Inc. throws you and your friends into a world infested with creatures. Battle survive in a valley where you can capture and tame creatures. So essentially, yeah, pretty much every single sandbox survival only more focused on creature capture and taming than usual. It looks like this is a new company though, Little Beavers Games. So, you know, that, that's something at least. It doesn't look horrible, but you know, it looks like it's a, you know, it's, a, it's an Unreal Engine game, right? It looks Pretty much like it could be a PUBG uh, screenshot, huh? For some of it. Yeah. Ooh. But it's interesting. it's interesting to see you know, something like that. Oh, hello. So this is my last one. Landinar? Landinar? Into the Void. Uh, it's a top-down uh, RPG. Or ARPG. Um... That actually but does it's look sci-fi themed, and it's got spaceship building uh, and space combat on top of looks like some ground-based stuff. But it's got uh, a tile-based or grid-based ship customization and design system, which like stuff like that I'm a sucker for. You know, everybody on here knows that by now. So even though I don't particularly care for the style of gameplay, the fact that it's sci-fi themed and I can craft my own spaceship, I'm like, okay, yeah, I'll give this a shot. So. Well, I got one that you have, so I'll add it anyway. What is it? Astronauts Imperium. Ah, Astro- yeah, Astronauts Imperium. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you've talked about that at length, so. Oh, shit. Sorry, these are the guys that made Convoy, which I've talked about on a previous episode. Um, as an FTL-like inspired, yeah, an FTL-like that where your ship is crashed on a planet, so it's 
ground-based. It's That's an excellent game. So that makes me a little bit excited. So do you want to talk about uh, Axiom Imperium since I took one of your games? Uh, if they want to hear about that, they can go all the way back to the beginning where I talked about it for like 20 minutes. <laughs> all right. Well, how about Anno 1800? Didn't we have that last time? Too? Uh, no, I you had that. It's my turn. So it's an Anno game. It's, it's going back into the past, which honestly, I think I would prefer Anno in the past uh, rather than sci-fi just because it offers more interesting designs, I think. Uh, plus, they're going into the Industrial Revolution, which is, you know, an interesting time frame because, you know, it's going from the age of sail into steamships. And it looks like they're uh, having uh, unionization issues as well. There, there's some uh, interesting things around this time period that they can toy around with. Not saying I'm opposed to them being sci-fi, but I haven't been able to play the sci-fi ones because they uh, Ubisoft has been kind of dicks with their DRM. And I didn't want to support that. Yeah. So, yeah. And that's a porn game, so no. And it's one that's not on your wish list, so I'll skip it. <laughs> and leave you wondering. That's fine. So, yeah, uh, once again, about half my wish or uh, half my discovery queue is pretty interesting stuff. That We the Revolution. I, I want to play that. Yeah, that looks cool. That and Wolfpack, if we could get a group. But that that's quite the thing. Did they say how many players that was? Because... Uh, I, I wanted to go back over that. Uh, they don't say how many players. Oh, they do have... Uh, Bots to replace absent players on the feature roadmap. Hey, an in-game voiceover IP. <laughs> uh, to be fair, I think most people would be using Discord anyway. Yeah. So that is the Discovery queue. But you did get me rather confused mm. by keep uh, saying Rage. It, it confuses me. Uh, stop doing that. Rage. What? Rage. What? Well, that's uh, no longer funny. Shall we continue on to another part that isn't funny? <laughs> yeah. Uh, what is it that I say now? Hit it with socials, Rage. So, if you wish to contest us once again, you can do so. VGLpodcast at gmail.com with your letters, voicemails, game-related topics, or just tweet them to us, VGLpodcast. Our lovely show is is funded by our lovely, lovely patrons. You can find out more, patreon.com slash podcast, which our uh, Podbean account is also funded by our lovely patrons, vglpodcast.podbean.com, which has links to all our stuff, even though my stuff is pretty absent at the moment just because my upload is all over the place. Let's just put it this way. To upload the video for the uh, podcast, it took me something like eight hours. <laughs> so I didn't want to risk it again. But uh, links to our uh, social stuff, links to Discord, and to everything else can be found on podbean.com, as well as the RSS feed, show notes, or you can just find us on iTunes and Google Play. 
And I have been, of course, Caffeine Rage. You can find me over at Gaming with Caffeine Rage on the YouTubes. Even though, like I said, it is going to be a little threadbare for now. You can find me over on Twitter, Gaming with CR. Or you can eventually find me over on Twitch, Caffeine underscore Rage. And you have been? Gaming Psychologist, which you can find over on YouTube by searching for Gaming Psychologist. Follow me on Twitter at JMA4707. Or you can be my friend on Steam by sending your friend request to JArthur4707 on Steam. And if you're listening, let them know exactly what episode of the podcast you're coming from. The password for this week is Bratwurst. <laughs> Bratwurst. You know, there, there was a lot like of choices I had for that. <laughs> but Bratwurst seemed like the best option. And also, uh, it was added to my shopping list. <laughs> Uh, our intro and outro music is On the Ground by Kevin McLeod and Doobly Doo. Our Discovery Q music is by the same artist. You can find his work at Incomputech.com and... As always, as his lovely music starts to roll across my voice. Bye-bye now. See you next time.